Hi, my name is Eric. And I'm Shalila, and this is Are You Still Watching? A podcast about movies and their place in our culture. And today we are as culturally relevant as we always are, which is to say that we are talking about a movie that has been out for months. Uh, And I think everyone already either watched or didn't and talked about, basically, uh, which is Palm Springs, which came out in July of 2020, which I don't honestly remember. So, as in, it's just been so long since July that I have, you know, time is meaningless now, which is sort of the point of this movie. Everything is so weirdly extended or truncated now that, uh, you know, like, uh, for example, I saw the other day that, uh, what is that other one that's coming out? Uh, Minari, I think, uh, that Minari had like just hit VOD or, or maybe it was just hit streaming rather or, or will be. Um, and when I saw that, again, it was like a, didn't that thing come out like two years ago? But it's because I was thinking of January Sundance release. And that's like, uh, it, that just feels like a completely different year. There's no point in even January doesn't belong this time. So uh, yeah, that's all to say it's a weird year for time. And Palm Springs is a movie about weird time. That is a segue. So I guess, should we start with like just a basic synopsis of what Palm Springs is for those who have not watched it um, or if you have and you watched it uh, three years ago in July of 2020 if you need like a refresher um, you want to give us like a a synopsis Shalila? Yes I would love to. So Palm Springs is essentially a time loop movie akin to other time loop movies you may have heard of in which a person or in this case persons get stuck in a loop that's just them repeating the same day over and over again. And this movie stars Andy Samberg, a.k.a. The Love of My Life, and Kristen Milioti of a few things, but I guess How I Met Your Mother fame, and some very cool supporting cast members, uh, primarily including J.K. Simmons and Camila Mendez from Riverdale and a few other people who are all fantastic at their jobs. So in the movie, um, Andy Samberg is essentially stuck already in this endless time loop where you're living one day, which is at the wedding at which his girlfriend is a bridesmaid. Yeah. And he inadvertently pulls Kristen Milioti, who is a single and disgruntled attendee to this wedding and also the sister of the bride, into his time loop. And they then become stuck in the time loop together. And we learn quite a few things about the two of them as they kind of go through this together, having different approaches to what's going on. And as you can imagine, it's also a romance, so they do eventually fall for each other. And uh, chaos and romance and drama and sci-fi and comedy and surprises ensue. So I guess we should start with like the top level, just kind of a two sentence. Like, what did you think? What are your feelings on this? You watched it back when it dropped, essentially, from my memory, and then you rewatched it for this. I've only seen it once. Um, So I feel like you have a little deeper of that perspective of like first impression and then a follow-up. Sure, that's true. I actually do. I think my initial impression was decently lukewarm. I enjoyed the movie. I think it's a fun movie. 
And I thought it did a really spectacular job of balancing a whole bunch of genres. Like, it's clearly not just one. Overall, I just thought it was fine, like, the first time I watched it. And the reason I felt that way, I think, is just a reaction to a lot of the reviews I read. Like, a lot of the reviews of this movie were like, this movie rules so hard. It is unbelievable. It is insanely good. I, I can totally understand why um, Hulu bought it for a gazillion dollars and 69 cents. Like, this movie deserves everything. And I understand that, I understand why those reviews exist, because the performances are spectacular and obviously 2020 happened to be the perfect time to release a time loop movie that nobody knew was you know gonna hit but aside from that i guess i was just kind of like all right these reviews are a little glowing compared to what i'm feeling that was my initial reaction and i think on the second watch i liked it more but i i pushed oh, my letterbox rating from three stars to three and a half so not that much but that's that's something that's still interesting that it had that improvement though i don't think i expected that like i, I did not know your answer going into this recording i would have bet you went the other direction uh, really so i was ready to go the other direction i was i mean considering I, I i i assume i guess over time that my views and films that i think are lukewarm fade like i don't really expect them to go yeah. significantly up unless it's something i maybe watched as a child and didn't understand or something but this is something i watched a few months ago so i also didn't expect to really feel differently but i do i do think i have some explanations for why which i think we'll get to that's great i think you and i were probably identical on first watch then i i think i don't remember my letterbox review i think i gave it a straight three um which for me is i liked it period yeah i, I i'm kind of with you though i think lukewarm is like a good way to say it uh i liked it's like i liked a lot of the pieces of it but at the end of the day i'm not really sure i was satisfied with the meal for lack of a better analogy. Um, like, Kyuyin Tran's cinematography is super good. Uh, it's a very pretty movie. Um, everyone in it is good. Like, I, I don't know. It's like, no one's, like, doing anything wrong. Yeah, uh, J.K. Simmons is an absolute delight, always. Um, it's just more like something about it i almost i guess the best thing maybe for me to say is i don't know if by the end of it i figured out if it was for me um like you know maybe it's a perfectly good example of what it is and it just happens to not be for me i feel like i doubt that though because i generally love time travel movies so that's why i was also surprised of like i really like time travel movies and i was just kind of lukewarm on this um but i don't fully know why so i'm curious to hear what your like, what about it registers lukewarm to you? Uh, and maybe you can help elucidate my own thoughts. I'll just get into some of my reactions on a second watch. Because yeah. I think what's harder for me is to identify why it went from three to three and a half rather than why it didn't hit five. I think I feel the same okay. way as you. I think it's it's probably just as simple as it also didn't feel that special to me. Um, and that's okay. I think it, it just felt like, one of the movies I watched this year where I was like, that was a perfectly good time. Um, but I don't really have any urge to rewatch it. I also don't know if I had any standout. This this is, I don't know if this is a valid complaint really, but I didn't have any like standout scenes in the film. Like, I don't know if this makes any sense. I didn't want to go back and rewatch any specific scene. I wasn't like, yeah. man, that one where that happens, I want that on YouTube so I can just keep revisiting it. Like there were a few cute ones I know that were put in there so that people would want to rewatch them. Like they have a couple of little like dance sequences and like some cute dates and like some pivotal lines, but I just didn't like care for them. Like I thought they were perfectly great. I thought it was a strong screenplay in that it held together 
like nothing in in between like caused it to fall apart but also nothing stood out to me so i think i feel the same way um it just didn't hit five because it wasn't that special but i am more interested in why i went from three to three and a half um because i think that's something that doesn't happen to me often um my answer is because i think that um i was in a better place to receive some of the themes of the movie now in my life rather than before which is nice i think almost it, it, it i don't usually feel that way about themes i'm not like oh, damn the theme really smacked me i was ready for a theme but i think i realized that i was which uh is a wholesome way to look at art but i guess when i watched it in july which really once again did not feel like a real month at all like i'm not sure that july happened i was just extremely wrapped up with life and it wasn't a bad time but it was just a non-time and art was just not hitting, like, at all. Like, nothing was hitting. Right. But I think that now, or today especially, when I watched it, it I've just been meditating a lot more on the concept of, like, being alone, like, in different, sense, in different senses, and, like, how that manifests, like, as a feeling and as a reality and, like, how I feel about it for different people and in different forms and contexts. And for some reason, it's been a big theme and, like, my discussions with my close friends, my discussions with my family, um, and not like loneliness pandemic-wise, just like what is it like to do different things alone versus with other people, which I'm sure everybody's thought about this year. Um, And just kind of also thinking about just the concepts of like guilt and like taking control of your own life and just all of these things that just fully were exploded in this movie. Also, obviously, this year is definitely a time loop and the later within... 2020s time loop you watch this i think the harder it possibly hits and i think there's obviously life beyond our own time loop as well just like they niles and sarah in the movie kind of know that there's possibly maybe life outside of the loop sarah more than niles but it feels just about exactly as uncertain to us as it does to them so i think that hit as well so for some reason i was just like everything that happened in the movie i was in a slightly better place to accept it i was like oh man that kind of hits oh that hits too which is wholesome so it's not even really kudos to the movie in any form i think it's nice that the movie held together as well on a second watch i didn't really like think like ah that flaw really i really miss that but i think it's more that art hits you differently at different times sure no i think that's interesting i think what that really i think kind of exemplifies to me is how much movies are temporally dependent and you know, I think it's always a rare exception when they're not, like when a movie can actually stand out against the time that it releases in. But I feel like this is a great example for something that really, not on purpose, obviously, like January 26th, this releases in Sundance. I don't think the intention was like, man, we can't wait to give you a movie that perfectly exemplifies the quarantine you're all about to go into. Um, But it just so happens to have worked out that way. So I just think that's an interesting sort of example of of how that can work out sometimes where i don't know if this movie would be what it is or uh, to your point like those original reviews that kind of put you and i off like maybe they wouldn't have been as glowing if we weren't in a very weirdly mirrored situation to what is going on in this movie um you know if it releases last year for example or, or 2018 like does it come out the same do we treat it the same i don't really know so I think what I want to touch on a little bit is uh, I'm still trying to kind of figure out for myself because I, you know, maybe let me go the inverse of what you did, right? My review 
was not three and a half stars. Uh, I think I either gave it a two or a three. I, I don't really remember in this moment. Um, a two for me is it was fine. A three is I liked it. Uh, and I, I, I'm still trying to get a handle on why that is because, again, everything about it seems like it should work for me. I love time travel. Uh, J.K. Simmons, <laughs> just generally like sort of like alternatively comedic casts, which I think this is, um, you know, uh, uh, neon films, uh, weird, you know, lonely desert cinematography, all those kind of things. They just work for me. It even has dinosaurs, uh, which I would love for us to get back to. Um, <laughs> and it just kind of didn't. And I think where I am stuck is I'm not sure that I ever care very much about the main relationship. Uh, and I, I like by the end of it, um, I guess, I don't know, everyone who listens to this, you should definitely know that this is a spoiler podcast. Like we don't, uh, this isn't a, we don't say things to spoil things, I suppose. Um, so be aware the next sentence is a spoiler. I think by the end of it, you are obviously supposed to, or I would assume that the movie is trying to get you to feel positive emotions as to the fact that they end up together. Uh, you know, uh, uh, he he does follow her into the cave um, and, you know, tries to get out and then they do get out together and they end up in the, the vacant pool with the neighbors and it's all very funny and great. Uh, and I kind of don't know if I liked it. Like, I, I don't know if I felt like, uh, Andy Sandberg's character, Niles, uh, I literally just put together that his name is Niles. His character never shuts up for one second about nihilism in the entire movie. And his name yeah. is Niles. Yep. <laughs> that yeah, is some, that together. Woo, that's on the nose for this movie. I did not put that together. Um, Interesting. Okay. Anyway, uh, I just don't know if by the end of it, I was sort of on his side and looking for his absolution. And I think part of that is because so much of the movie is spent showing you that he's kind of a garbage guy now, because why would he have any reason not to be? And, and, and I understand that component. And yes, there is obviously like a journey here. Like, you know, uh, he tries to deny that there's any emotions or feelings anymore because he's been in the time loop and all of that. And he does end up falling for her. Um, I think what gets me is that the actions that they show where he is basically trying to, you know, the the what I think of as the movie trying to basically say, okay, he has gone through hell and now he's going to to face some things and that's how you're going to know he's a good person now. The two that stand out to me are, one, he goes and beats up the groom of the wedding, who, you know, the sort of the big reveal, I guess, in the movie, which I don't know, that was, it, it, it was like five minutes in, and I was like, that's definitely where this is going, right? Um, the big reveal, of course, is that the groom is actually sleeping with with the sister, uh, with um, Chris Emiliotti's yeah. character, as opposed to Camila Mendez, right? Uh, or rather, his wife is Camila Mendez. Um, or in addition to, I would hope. Yes, in addition to, correct. Uh, I guess what I should say is uh, the night before the wedding, the thing that has led her character to be so 
you know, angst ridden throughout the movie and so guilt uh, ridden is that she is, uh, uh, you know, sleeping with her, her uh, sister's fiance. So he goes and confronts him and they have like a classic, the guy who's interested in the girl fights the guy who's not treating her very well scene. And I don't know, I guess. <laughs> That's just like the best way I could describe my feelings of that scene where I was like, I guess, I don't know. It's not, I, what, it doesn't really solve much. I feel like it's a, it's a played out trope. I'm not particularly interested in it anymore. It just feels very like, it feels like damsel in distressy sort of a thing like honorary and she's not even there like it you know i guess that is, is something to say is that she's not even a part of it he does this all on his own obviously but it's just there's something about that and then that eventually le leading to his realization that he loves her that just kind of irked me or, or left me sort of feeling like okay well he hasn't really graduated into a new level of like or like uh philosophy like he's still just kind of being an annoying dude. And then the second thing is he goes and talks to J.K. Simmons. Uh, I believe his character's name is Roy, but I refuse not to call him J.K. Simmons. Um, he goes and talks to Simmons, uh, and who is trying to kill him the whole movie, which is my favorite part of the movie. Uh, I just think it's a very interesting thing. So he goes and tries to kill Simmons, uh, and or, or rather to talk to him, and, uh, you know, they, they, he goes to his house for the first time and he sees his life for the first time. And I guess what I got out of that is that he's basically realizing that this person that has been hunting him and he's been sort of treating as this like, oh, guy who's trying to kill me has like a wife and kids and a life and that there's like something more there. Like there's, there's, there's a humanity to him. And, you know, Simmons explains that his life is perfect and imperfect. Like he gets to live this perfect day, but he'll never see his uh children grow up and that's really sad and all of that leads to andy sandberg uh you know uh, still basically filled with remorse but like those to me were the moments where he seems to uh i guess those are the things that are pushing him to grow up for lack of a better word where it loses me is the connection between those actions and the eventual absolution where he 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 based you know in a very classic like cinema way he basically gets the girl and I don't really understand why. Like, I I, I don't know. I, I don't really have a better way to explain this than that. Um, I, I think that Kristen Milioti's character is very interesting. I, I was a lot more interested and invested in her character throughout the movie. And, you know, toward the end, her whole journey to, like, she learns quantum physics so that she can figure out how to get out of here was so interesting. And... I don't know if I buy that after all of that, she basically just sort of like reverses course and is like, it's all good. Everything that happened is whatever, because we're going to get out now and therefore things matter. And therefore I forgive you. I don't know. I, I, I'm not really seeing the connection. So if you have any insights into my ramble, I would love to hear them, but maybe they're just a ramble. Maybe it means nothing. That's what this movie told me. That's what podcasts are for. Um, but I, I do agree with you. I think that, you're getting somewhere in terms of maybe, and get this, this movie would have been better if they didn't end up together and pointedly went yeah. their separate ways at the end. I'm going to say that that's because of the one thing that really sets this movie apart on a macro level from all the other time loop movies or time loop media, 
which is that it's the first one that I can think of, at least, or the first kind of significant one that pulls more than one person into the time loop, like at the same time. I think every other one that I can think of is just one person. And, you know, Groundhog Day, Edge of Tomorrow, Russian Doll, whatever you may want to bring up, their whole deal is that they're kind of trying to, I mean, they they all approach it from different lenses, right? Like episodic or sci-fi or kind of romance or, or reflection or whatever it may be, different genres. But they're all, in their essence, trying to convey kind of the isolation of feeling like you're trapped behind this glass pane of everything that happens to you in your bubble and nobody else can understand what the heck that is because they're just not in it with you and they're all changing and you're not. And obviously, you know, you're going through your own evolution, but fundamentally you are so stuck that you can't possibly convey what you're going through. And this movie at least aims to offer the opportunity for to see how you can change within your loop because you are now able to compare and measure your internal change or internal compass against other people. Um, but I have a couple of reflections on how that's pulled off. I think it's pulled off well. It's cool. It's the first one I can think of. So, I mean, it's not really, it's nothing really to compare it to. However, I think it's interesting because they're all definitely wrestling with different things, right? Like Sarah's wrestling with her guilt and her kind of mm-hmm personality that doesn't really vibe well with giving up hope in any form or kind of a sense of like hopelessness or a lack of a future niles is kind of wrestling with being a douchebag after all this time like you said he's just like (laughs) he's just he's lost all kind of ability to foster positive emotions and like hope in general and then roy's kind of wrestling or at least did with his sense of loss at you know not seeing his family grow up and, and having people extremely close to him who will not be experiencing his time loop with him, which is not something Niles and Sarah have. So, I mean, they're all kind of wrestling with different things. But what's interesting is that I don't know if this movie made the greatest use of outside of a scene where Niles and Roy chat about, like, life um, and kind of come to terms and, you know, Roy for a second stops trying to kill (laughs) Niles. I'm not sure that it made the greatest use of that reflection um, Mm -hmm. because I think, it's probably simplistic, at the end of it, if they've reflected correctly then they should be like, this was really interesting because I got stuck. we both got stuck in a time loop with somebody who has basically the opposite philosophies that I do. And I think this right. kind of comes across most significantly in the scene where they're talking about, like, is it possible for you to, like, love somebody if you only know their present and their future? And then Sarah's like, you got to know their past. you got to know the whole picture. And, and Niles is like, I don't think that matters. What you bring is what you bring, and you can bring what you want, and it's only what we move forward with that matters. And I think that that's a fundamental kind of mismatch on the grand scheme of love things, at least. I'm not saying it's not, um, you can't get over it, you can't move past it or work past it. But I think it's an example of the fact that they kind of are meant to go through this time loop discovering that they have different philosophies. Like, for example, she desperately wants to get out. He's kind of okay to resign himself to the life that he's now used to. Um, And then they're meant to kind of like, I don't know, kiss, shake on it and like become best friends and go their separate ways for a while i don't know if they're meant to be forced to then be together i also feel the same way as you like i I think it's i guess what i'm saying is that this is the first movie to have two people at the same time so it's a valuable opportunity to on one hand have them learn from each other and on the other hand have them fall in love but i don't know that both needed to happen in the same movie and also the way that they did yeah i i I think you have summed that up uh, much more succinctly than I did. <laughs> that is exact. Like that is my issue. I, I just, I don't think I like that they're together. Uh, 
mostly because I don't think it leaves me with any resolution of feeling. And again, maybe that's what the movie's trying to do to you, but I don't have to like it. Um, it doesn't leave me with any resolution of like, is he actually changed? I have no idea. Uh, or maybe that doesn't matter, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, now, I don't want it to sound like I only disliked this movie. I did not. Uh, there were a lot of things I did like in it. For one, I actually really like um, that the time travel in this movie is kind of boring. You, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, the because you're thrown into it in the middle of it already happening, it's not actually shown as being interesting to anyone. Um, versus like, you know, Groundhog Day, obviously the first time loop is like a, like a wondrous thing. You're like, oh my God, what is, how could this be happening? Um, Edge of Tomorrow, right? Uh, uh, fascination, right? The, the camera has a fascination. Tom Cruise has a fascination. You have a fascination. In this one, uh, uh, uh Milioti does for like a little bit, but like the important part of it and the key of it is that you're immediately brought back to just everyone else not caring because, They've already been in it for, I got the impression, like, hundreds of years, thousands yeah. of years. Like, a, a truly incredible amount of time uh, that they have just been stuck in this loop. So, they don't really care. Like, And I actually like that. I like that I've never seen a time travel movie in which you come into the time travel in the middle. Um, I think that's a really interesting idea. Um, it just felt novel. So, I liked that a lot. Uh, again, I like the cinematography a lot. I thought that was good. J.K. Simmons always a delight, and I like that he's doing weird stuff with his, like, 2010s career still. Uh, just a really bonkers, like, he's like a guy who hunts someone in this movie. I just, it's just interesting. <laughs> like, there's just not something about that Yeah, when he popped up, it was fun. the last thing I expected to see. Yeah, that's what I mean, where you're like, and when he popped up and he's wearing the makeup at first, I was like, I wonder who this is. And there was something about, I think there's something he yells at Andy Samberg at one point that I was like, is that? jk simmons like because i didn't know he was in this before so that was that was a good surprise um i like that this movie does not shy away from the uh what i think of as like the time travel conundrums of you know in a in a in a family friendly feature of any sort or a mass marketed sort of film they can't go too hard is the way I think of it. So, for example, like in Groundhog Day, you know, if I'm remembering right, he like steals money from a bank at some point or from an armored car. And he, if I'm remembering correctly anyway, and, uh, you know, he like uh, makes it so that he can get a date correctly. And he like pulls some pranks. Like that's the most that Bill Murray can do there. Um, what I like about this is that they're very clear of like, if you were seemingly immortal and lived out every single day exactly the same in one day, then you would do every drug imaginable. It's just not a question because you have an infinite time and you're always going to wake up and you can't die. So why wouldn't you do every single thing you've never done, including like, Whatever that, like, you know, kill somebody, do drugs, go to any any place you want, wear whatever you want, do nothing, do everything. Like, I, I actually like that they don't, they sort of don't shy away from the idea that 
the 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 idea of like the passage of time and our eventual passage, uh, like in other words, the 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 the, the time running out is the biggest motivator for morality of like, well, you can't waste the time you have. You got to be good to people while you're here kind of a thing. But if that's not present and there are actually no consequences, then what are you actually held by? I think is a very interesting thing for them to explore. And I like that they did it sort of without abandon. Um, yeah, I think those are the biggest things that I liked. I like the goat. The goat is great. Yeah. The goat's the first face you see in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're right. Oh, you're right. I just realized that. Oh, that didn't occur to me. I have an important question about the goat, actually. <laughs> I have a nitpick. Sure. I know this is a stupid thing to say in any time travel movie, but does the rules make sense? Do the rules in this movie make sense? <laughs> Here's my only question. The goat isn't there in the next loop. So she tries her theory out. By sending a goat into the cave with explosives. The next reset, the goat is gone. Why would the goat be gone? What I mean by this is the goat should be... Yes, like we know that that works because they do it later in the movie. We know that the physics works. So what she did is she took a goat from their iteration of the timeline and she blew that goat into tomorrow, right? She exploded it in the cave and it basically shot out through the time portal and now it's in tomorrow. But when they wake up again in their iteration of the time loop, the goat was in their iteration of the time loop. They should still have a goat. And my evidence for this is the mid credit scene. Andy Samberg is at the wedding when JK Simmons finds him there. Yes. So how is Andy Sandberg still there? Now again, not like, Let's say it's not our Andy Sandberg because he has gone to tomorrow finally. But it is J.K. Simmons' Andy Sandberg. He's still there. Why isn't the goat there? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, my actual answer is one sentence. It's that I think she killed the goat. And I also think that if you go into that cave with all this C4 that they do and you blow it up, that you die and that they're imagining the end of the movie. That's what I got. Like they died. Goat died. They died. Don't blow yourself up in a mysteriously lit cave. You will die. So you think that the goat never actually gets to tomorrow? Yes. Got it. So when she... But that still doesn't explain why if she wakes up the next day, why is the goat gone? I actually I can't, I can't explain this. This is so stupid. The goat should definitely be there when in, in That's her my point. loop. Because it's her loop. It's not the goat's loop. If they hadn't shown Andy Sandberg or they had shown the goat, either solution... I would be happy. The problem is they make a very explicit show of saying the goat is no longer in this timeline, meaning they literally removed the goat from that day, which doesn't make sense. But I mean, the there's a possibility gone. that Sarah is just not cut out for quantum physics, especially at the speed that she's been studying it. And she, the fair. goat like yeah. wandered off and she really, really wanted something that's really no like, we've all been in that's actually middle school. super we've all fair done lab experiments and we've right. all just wanted to see a result and we've all done anything right. it would take oh. for a result to show maybe she's so crazed that she's like the goat wasn't there i didn't see the goat something works we can blow ourselves up now because she well, just really wants the hell out of there okay that's an actually an interesting theory so in that case it's impossible do you think it's possible that she's lying like, is I it possible that possible. she's telling she's him? She's lying, like, possibly to him or and or to herself. And or herself of, like, it doesn't matter. We just have to try. Yes. 
Interesting. Yes. Oh, this could I be a hadn't good thought one. about that. That actually changes a little bit because it that that changes not only how the movie ends, but it also changes that aspect of basically faith, right? Of like that she's at this point she's so done with it. But she's still willing to rely on the fact that, like, if I'm going to get out of here, I still want you to come with me because I'm assuming because at least she doesn't have to be alone in anything. And she's willing to lie about it to get her way there, which is sort of reflecting what he did. Uh, that's actually interesting. I wonder if that's the answer. Are we going to headcanon this answer? <laughs> I like it. Okay. I have a controversial question for you. Sure. We're going to put up a, like, radio jockeys. We'll put up, like, a like a alarm sound. Controversial question incoming. I don't have an answer to this question. I'm, I have molded over since I watched the movie, and I'm just curious to know what you think. There is an important aspect of this movie, uh, uh, one very important plot point. Basically, the reason that Kristen Milioti gets upset with Andy Samberg and leaves is because he lies to her. He lies to her about one important fact. He has talked about in many of their iterations that because he has been in this day for, again, what I, just something about the tone of it and the way that he talks about it makes me think it has been for far longer than a human life because he, he oh, seems to 100%. have like, he's forgotten like what job he did. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's actually, yeah, you're completely right. Way to go with the rewatch. You're right. <laughs> he has forgotten literal facts about his life, meaning he must have progressed hundreds of years, if not more. So one of the things he talks about is that, of course, because of all that time, he slept with everyone. Obviously, because you have an infinite iterations, which means you are going to get bored. And you're just, what else are you going to do at a wedding, essentially? He tells her originally that he never slept with her. And you later find out that he's lying. And that he has, in fact, slept with her many times in their former iterations. Of course, the difference this time being that he's in love, etc. Here is my question to you. Is that messed up or does it not matter? Like, is it messed up that he did it or is it messed up that he lied? Is it messed up that he did it? No. Here, be, here, so here, here's where I'm coming at from this. She seems very upset. I guess, what I, I guess what I don't know is whether or not she's super pissed because he lied or because he did it at all and lied like i i don't really know that it could be one it could be both who knows but what i got from the movie and the tone of that scene is that you are supposed to feel that it is actually messed up that he has uh slept with her many times before in many of these other iterations and uh like like the fact that that existed at all seems to be like a, a bad thing um and i do what i'm i'm curious to know what you think about that because I, i'm not really sure the the reason i'm bringing this up at all is because if i remember correctly this is also an argument that people have been having for like 30 years about groundhog day yeah uh and is it messed up so the, i'm conflicted i I think that so to answer essentially the first question, which is that is it is he is it messed up that like he's done this with his time? I mean, sure, like but like normal human ethics don't apply to time loops, so like no, because we all would, right? Like we literally all would. You know, <laughs> yeah, and like l let's be let's be clear really quick. It's at no point do they suggest that it was ever non consensual between right. him or any person in the movie. It's just that 
He has infinite time, so you've got an infinite number of opportunities to at a wedding make yourself somebody that somebody would want to sleep with and right. and get that cons- you know and, and 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 like make that connection or whatever it is you want to do like so. But I, I just want to make sure to make that clear. Like it's not at no point is is it ever suggested that that is the case. Um, so anyway, go forth. No, not at all. So yeah, I think that even she understands it. Now my understanding of this is that I don't think that she's particularly mad about him lying about it i think she has like a human level of shock to it because nobody really likes to find out that that just feels like that just feels like manipulation right so there's like a little bit of like a out that i think initially shows on her face um but i would say i think from the read on the character that we're given is that her biggest beef with this isn't the fact that he lied to her because i think that she doesn't really seem to have a problem with like manipulation like she's kind of like she talks a lot about how she's like i'm kind of a shit person and like Obviously, her defining characteristic in this movie is that she was sleeping with the person who was about to get married, who is also her sister's to-be-husband. So I don't think that she, like, her biggest damage would have been with that. I think it's because in that moment, when they're sitting there and we have that conversation, he is explaining to her that he's a person who has lost all sense of caring about anything. And the one thing on earth that he cares about is that pain is still real. So you should not be a shitty person because you have to live with that pain. And I think it hits her in that moment that, and obviously every time loop movie, you kind of get to see like your first, it, it, you go through kind of like the stages of time loopiness. Like at the beginning, you're like, mm-hmm. I can do anything. And then you're like, God damn, actually reflection is setting in. And I think she hits her reflection moment where she's like, I am having a good time right now. Like I'm just going to run over a dude with a car and like mess around because nothing can happen. But she sees on the face of this guy who doesn't seem to care about anything that after also hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of years that like guilt and like remorse and pain, first of all, it still hits, it exists. And second, it hits somebody who seems to care so little. And I think she sees like her future in the time loop in that moment. She's like, oh my God, I'm a shitty person and I think I don't care about anything, but even I'm going to become this person. Like I'm going to care about my own actions so hard and I already kind of hate myself I really don't want to hate myself more I don't want to like sign up for this like remorseful loop where I think that nothing matters but the only person it matters to is me because I feel like I don't think I'm like a Sarah level shitty person but I think we all have this like I think we all have this kind of instinct of like man it is not nice to live with bad things that you've done it's just not it's not cool to like to do that and as much as you want to front and be like Uh, nothing matters I'm an impulsive person like I love change adventure like throw me into any situation I just go with the flow like you do have to like go home at the end of the day and sit with like shitty things you've done and like stay up in the middle of the night be like why did I say that thing and I think she realizes that that I think this is my read on her she really doesn't like that feeling at all which is relatable because I also hate that feeling I think I'm very much like her in that (laughs) and I think she's like damn this is my future it's just an eternity of living with the shittiest parts of myself and he hates it so much he wouldn't even tell me so i think she's like damn i would do this like i'm gonna do this to somebody eventually i'm gonna like sleep with them a thousand times and then have to like pretend i didn't and feel crappy right and she just decides in that moment that she's gonna do anything aka get i don't know multiple phds in quantum physics to work her way out so i i think that is a great read on it and i think that's actually really interesting sort of using that as like the catalyst for her coming to terms with what she will soon experience um, the only alternative that I could think of that I want to offer is more emotional. And that's where I'm not sure whether or not it actually fits in this movie. What I couldn't figure out is whether or not it is sort of about what you just said of like, is it that it represents something 
Or is it the fact that from her perspective, the first time that they sleep together in the desert is the first time they've slept together. And it is theoretically emotionally meaningful. Like this is when they're both like obviously finally, you know, admitting to each other that they are, uh, they have emotions for each other. And then it turns out he's actually done it dozens of times. Uh, and I, I guess that's where I'm getting at is like, is that more so what is going on? I can't really tell. So, yeah, I just am not like 100% on which of those, I guess to me, feels like the uh, the reason. And maybe there's not a the reason, but um, I think that is uh, uh, that was a question I was left with at the very end was, is it actually messed up? And I don't know. Uh, but that's the groundhog debate that people have been having for like 30 years. So uh, it continues here too. The time loop trolley problem. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think I think it is interesting that in a movie that was fairly crisp and short and sweet that there is you know there are a few angles to take like a few things to talk about. Um, it's pretty good. It's a good thing that they did there. Um, like I said, I think one of the strengths of this film is that even if the the sum product or the net product doesn't ascend to spectacular heights, I think the package is a very well balanced package. Personal thoughts: I just really liked how they kind of balanced the comedy drama, romance, sci-fi, I thought they just kind of put the right amounts of everything on the scale. I'm not sure that the, again, the end product was like the best movie I've ever seen or anything, but which I think is is interesting. Like you can have a perfect balance and also have it not be incredible. Um, but I just thought that um, it was fairly cool that they did that. Like it could have leaned too yeah. far into anyone. And it's definitely it's a little creaky in parts, but I thought it was a really, really impressive balance. Like it made me really laugh. Um, it's a it was a really fun and great wedding movie too. Like I, I think maybe a few years down the line, like anybody who wants to watch like a fun little wedding movie, it's kind of a good wedding movie. It's a good um, like you said, desert movie as well, um, which is definitely a thing that also I understand. <laughs> um, it was pretty romantic, I guess. I know it didn't hit as hard for the both of us, but. It's a it's a love story. Um, it was actually really funny in parts. I like laughed out loud, um, even on the second watch. It was pretty surprising. Like there were there were I wouldn't say the main reveal was like anything that the two of us didn't see coming, but there were a couple moments where I was yeah. like, oh oh interesting. Um, mm-hmm. There was some mystery. There's sci-fi, obviously, but not you know too hard because um, they even montaged it for themselves, um, and it was fun. I thought it was fun, which. Um, I think all of those things helped it feel even more kind of original and refreshing to me the second time. Like I started to see why people were like, oh, cool movie, you know, um, still don't think it was as good as everyone said, but I, I got a little closer there. Um, sure. But I do want to like quickly recognize that I think that the performances in this movie carried the entire thing. Like I just think they were some of the greatest performances. I think Andy and Kristen were obviously fantastic. They're both weird, but strong people. Um, like you said, weird leads. We love we love weird leads that also are strong performers, and the two of them definitely are. Um, obviously, J.K. Simmons was perfect. He was such a weird but perfect choice for that third-ish lead spot or supporting mm-hmm. spot, I guess. Um, but more importantly, I thought that the supporting cast, like they all got like maybe like five minutes or like three minutes because it's a pretty crisp movie. It's like under an hour and a half technically. Yeah. Um, it's like an hour and twenty something, but I thought that everybody in the little bits that they got really shined. 
everybody was so good, uh, especially Andy's uh, girlfriend. <laughs> um, was very funny. To she me. was quite good. She was really uh, funny. Who played her? Um, Meredith Hagner. I am not familiar with her work. I um I recognize her face. Couldn't tell you where I have seen it before though. Um, I but she's her. talented. I really like what she did with the movie. Um, and I also want to say I I think that every time loop movie has like an iconic line or an iconic something that happens when the loop restarts every time. Um, when they wake up, and I feel like for you know for like Groundhog Day they've got the okay campers rise and shine and that song plays on the radio and. Right. You know, it's going to be a cold one or whatever. And Edge of Tomorrow, my favorite one, has On Your Feet, Maggot. And I kind of liked that this one's was just wholesome. It was just going to be a beautiful wedding because it's just a simple but fun choice. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, cute. yeah. I liked that. Yeah. Um, but all this to say, I think my favorite time loop movies or time loop pieces of media are still Edge of Tomorrow and Russian Doll, which I could do an entire podcast on because of. I just think its episodic format afforded it so many more opportunities. But also, um, Tasha Leon is fantastic. Highly recommend. You I'm so behind. I know. Everyone this has said I year. should. I really this need to get to it. This is the year. The year to watch yeah. time loop content. Um, but yes, <laughs> it's not like I don't have time. time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no um, excuses now. I, that's Edge of Tomorrow we've talked about before on this podcast, I think. Yes, several For times sure. because I'm in love yeah. with it. It's in my yes, letterbox. You showed that movie to me and it's it's great. It is great. But I do think that there's something to be said in movies like this about, like, getting stuck and getting comfortable in your own time loop and not wanting to leave that hits super hard only this year. Like, that specific theme, you can't relate to it ever again or at any other time unless you've been in a time loop, I guess, that many of my friends have and aren't telling me about. But I think that one feeling where you're like, there's a divide between me and the main character because I'll never know that feeling. You kind of know that feeling now. So I've, I feel like I've read so many think pieces this year that are like, man, we have adjusted really fast to this new reality and our bodies have changed already. We're losing our memory. Everything is going warped because of how quickly we're all stuck in our own loops this year. And I think it's it's going to be strange for us to leave our own bubbles that we've created this year, like the, the comforts that we've created or the weird routines we've done. And I don't know, mid next year, have to go back to what at least the economy is going to try and pretend it was normal life from before. <laughs> and I think that these movies are actually, or these shows or these media are, are great to be watched at this time because it's the only time it's ever possibly going to hit in our lifetimes. So yeah, time loop movies, Sisyphusian. That was such a wonderful, sophisticated second to last take. So I'm going to follow it up with something equally succinct and eloquent. The hell is going on with the dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> what is... What's with the dinosaurs? I don't get it. So for people who have not seen it or if you haven't seen it in a bit, there's dinosaurs. There's just like a bunch of, I'm assuming they're meant to be like Apatosaurus, Brontosaurus, uh, that are just walking across the desert. And I don't get it. <laughs> I'm really confused. And I want to get it. I And maybe, I don't know. It's hard because in a movie in which Again, didn't learn this until just now, but in a movie in which a guy who's obsessed with nihilism is named Niles, I, I can never tell whether or not the answer is like a snide, like, well, nothing matters, so why are you asking? But why are there dinosaurs? Are they, I don't think they're real because they're like see-through, right? Yeah. But what are they? Are they, I thought what they were first getting at is that they were 
time traveling dinosaurs like they you know they walked through the cave in their time zone or whatever except that that would loop them in one day so why would they be here up to 65 million years later like i don't why are there dinosaurs man i don't know when i first watched the movie i thought that they had like done a bunch of drugs right before and i just missed that and thus they were like on some kind of shared trip but no (laughs) they're just dinosaurs because then the final shot of the movie reinforces they're not even seeing them so the final shot is either an unreliable camera or it's emphasizing that they are actually there i don't yeah get that part i really don't it just feels very art house in a way that i'm not i can't get my head around like what was the point of that or is it i don't know what what's your best guess like what's your stab in the dark my only the only thing i've got is that it's supposed to be some kind of like a you are living all of us are are living in the basically like we are we are standing in we are living in and in fact we fuel our cars with the uh uh bones and like the basically the, the leftovers right like in other words we we are standing where super giants used to stand where the dominant species used to stand and they also thought that life mattered i guess that's the only thing that i got from it is basically like these really beautiful majestic creatures also used to walk around thinking that life mattered and that was 65 million years ago and now we have us so dinosaurs equal the idea that time is ever passing even in a time loop and thereby it doesn't matter or something that's all i got okay so i'm going to do my favorite thing on the podcast which is where you present a actually fantastic original well-fleshed-out theory that's deep and cool um, about something that we're puzzling about, and then I Google it and tell you what the people <laughs> who did the movie said. This is a good bit of our podcast. <laughs> okay, it's I'm great. excited. Couldn't shoot you down any more than I do on this podcast. <laughs> so apparently everyone's like, all right, first thought, Palm Springs dinosaur scene could have been a nod to, I don't know how to pronounce this word. I'm going to get roasted by everybody from California and or America. Cabazon, 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 sure, Cabazon dinosaurs, a roadside attraction located near Palm Springs, California, which features two gigantic dinosaur sculptures. The movie, however, never directly explained the dinosaurs, and according to an interview with the writer Andy Sierra and the cast, the existence of the dinosaurs was meant to be ambiguous. Sierra compared them to an intangible feeling, while Miliotti described the dinosaurs as magical realism. Sandberg, on the other hand, liked that the symbolism was up to the viewer. But also, apparently, when the camera pans out at the end and reveals the view of the desert after, you know, they, they've made their way out of the time loop, you can still see the long-necked dinosaurs, proving that they were more than a hallucination. It's possible right. that the dinosaurs were linked to the mysterious loop or a rip in the multiverse. Then again, it could just have been a piece to the new reality that Niles and Sarah created by breaking the loop. See, so that's not an answer. <laughs> I don't know. There's no answer. Like, I don't get it. I... So basically, either they're giant statue dinosaurs, they're a nod to giant Palm Spring dinosaurs, which we don't actually see in the movie, and I don't know why that would, what's the point? Is it just a nod? Or part two, they're actually there, 
because of a rip in time space that we don't see? I'll tell you the answer. It's that it's an indie film that's sold to Hulu. And, that's uh, what I thought. Was like, I was like, is this just artsy? I, I think it's just artsy. I think it's just like, why wouldn't we put dinosaurs? Yeah. Well, there it is. <laughs> we kick I... this off with like, man, what a, what an interesting movie about freaking, like, what is it like to, to have to roll your own stone up a mountain? And does it matter if the future is uncertain? Does it matter if you don't share a future? Is this movie a reflection on like the community feel of a loop versus the individual feel of a loop? Are we all in a shared responsibility for what we create outside of it? Do ethics matter? And then we were like, so magical realism? Dinosaurs? Dinosaurs are real? Yeah. You know, this is, I don't know why, this is a terrible place to have this podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. I think magical realism is the, f- uh, it, the phrase is the fascism phrase of the film world. I think it's a word that everyone just throws around like they know what the hell it means. And I don't think anyone ever knows what it means. It, it's 100%. like in the same way that people calls you call anything you don't like fascism. Anything. Anything on the planet. <laughs> if it rubs you the wrong way, that's fascism. In the same way, it's like, did you not understand something in a movie? That's magical realism. I don't think that's true. If I'm not mistaken, it's like, and I'm not saying I'm an expert, but... I'm pretty sure it's like a very specifically Colombian cultural literary technique. I don't know. And I'm not saying you can't like use that in other things, but I think that if something seems magical in an otherwise real life movie, I don't know if that automatically makes a magical realism. I'm, I don't know. I don't know that I'm right about that either. I'm just offering that I think in the same way that boy, do we like to call anything, anything in the world fascism. I think we like to call everything magical realism. And I just don't, I don't think that's the case. I, I don't. Um, <laughs> I've never been what a good way to end you it. on anything. <laughs> well, I guess that's where we can end today's podcast with us encouraging you, the listeners, to learn what magical realism is because we also don't know what it is <laughs> and neither does anyone else. Yes. And that's it. <laughs> that's, that's Palm Springs, basically. <laughs> Palm Springs is just a question about magical realism and dinosaurs. Yeah, well, uh, thank you, as always, for discussing this movie with me, Shalila, and for sharing your insights, especially as a Andy Sandberg superfan, an Andy Sam- Super Sandberg? I don't know. I'll figure it out. We have a whole bevy of movies that we are going to get to here in the near future. Um, if you have any suggestions for other 2020 releases that we should cover, please let us know. Uh, most helpfully through our Twitter, which Shalila can give you all the details on. Indeed. Um, you may contact us on our Twitter, which is at AYSWpod. And that is incidentally also the URL that you can use to get to our Patreon if you'd like to support us, patreon.com slash AYSWpod. And we are both individually contactable on Twitter or, you know, just tweet, tweet, at the, tweet at the account. You'll find us. We're all tagged. And you can find mm-hmm. our podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Most fun way would be if you've got a Amazon Echo device to ask Alexa. She might she might direct you to the right place. In fact, she definitely will because I spend a lot of time making sure that would happen. <laughs> you can find links to all of the services in which we are hosted, which again is literally all of them on our Twitter as well. And we look forward to hearing from you. I love it. Well, until then, enjoy the time loop that you are stuck in and we'll see you next time bye everybody